Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. Uh, today is what is it? Friday, Monday, uh, Monday, January fourth, twenty twenty-one, starting at one twenty p.m. here in Denver, Colorado, and this is the two hundred eighty-sixth episode of the show. So, in this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Banu Guler, who's the founder of the CoStar Astrology app. Uh, so, hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You're obviously someone we've all looked up to for a very long time. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on the show. So, so part of the genesis of this was that last month, about a, a month ago, I think it was on December 1st, you did an, an AMA and Ask Me Anything on Reddit, on the astrology subreddit, um, where you were just answering questions from different random users. And I Happened to to notice it actually relatively early on that day, and I asked some some questions from just generally things I was curious about that I'd heard in the community, and I really liked your responses. And um, so I offered if you ever wanted to come on the show that we could do an interview, and you accepted. So here we are today. So thanks for doing that. Yeah, of course. Uh, I believe that when I realized that you were Chris Brennan, I wrote in all caps, "Oh my God, is this Chris Brennan?" <laughs> right. Yeah, I I thought that was really funny and and endearing. So, um, yeah. So one of the things you were doing on the, on the AMA was to clear up some some misconceptions about the app and to talk a little bit about its development as well as as its future plans. And I thought those would be good discussion topics for us today. So we'll get to just about everything. Um, so before we get there, though, first I wanted to introduce this by talking about. The rise of popular astrology apps over the course of the past decade and the past few years, as you know, mobile phones and smartphones have become more ubiquitous, it seems like it was only a matter of time before somebody created a popular astrology app that took off. Um, but it almost seems like it could have happened sooner than it did. And for some reason, it's more recent that some apps have really exploded in popularity. And CoStar seems to be one of them. It, it seems like it is. If not the most popular app, it's it's one of the most popular apps for astrology at this time, right? Yeah, I mean, I think just over twenty percent of young people in the U.S. have downloaded it at this point. Uh, we're consistently ranked in the top two or three hundred apps overall in the App Store, um, and I don't think any of the other astrology apps are in there. Yeah, yeah. well, twenty. Yeah, so twenty percent. So that's a huge. You sort of mentioned that in passing, but that's like a huge number. Twenty percent of young people in the United States using this app is just astronomical in terms of astrology. I mean, a lot of public polls, for example, that I've read years ago, like let's say ten years ago, but they were always relatively consistent. Put the number of people in the U.S. of of just adults that believe in astrology, quote unquote, whatever that means, to be around like twenty five percent or something. So the idea that twenty percent of a specific demographic or twenty five percent are are using this app is kind of crazy, just in terms of those numbers. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure the number that you're referring to is the National Science Foundation, and they've been polling people about belief in astrology since the 70s. And I think that's how it's phrased. Do you believe that astrology is scientific, maybe? Yeah. Um, and roughly consistently since the 70s, it's like half of American young people and a quarter to a third of American adults overall. Um, and it's like ebbed and flowed a little bit, but I think it's roughly that. But I think the, sorry, <laughs> I think the proportion's a little bit higher among young people. Okay, that makes sense. Um, well, that's really 
interesting then, but it just gives you some idea of the reach of CoStar in its history in just the past few years. So one of the questions that I wanted to get to was like, what was missing in terms of astrology apps versus what did CoStar offer um, versus like how much it was that filling a need that was there versus also maybe coming in at the right time. So CoStar was launched in 2017 and um, there was this huge wave of interest in young people in astrology starting in 2017 or 2018. And that was something we commented on on the astrology podcast around that time. So there was some something there about the timing just in terms of being in the right place at the right time, perhaps as well. Yeah. I mean, so there were already a bunch of astrology apps. There were tons of astrology websites, um, the same ones that we all use now. <laughs> um, but uh, with CoStar, we've always started from a different premise, which isn't like, how do we replicate the features of Solar Fire or Astro Gold on, which I believe didn't exist at the time, uh, on a mobile device? But how do we use the language of astrology to help people connect in more meaningful ways? You know, like this was much more, uh, much less following the idea of like astrology is big among young people and much more about social media, I think is destroying our brains. Can we hack this thing that's actually really wonderful? I'm, I, I love my phone. I love scrolling. Can we hack those? like kind of good behaviors or, you know, potentially neutral behaviors to engender something good and real and meaningful. Right. Yeah. The the social component of that is something that you've mentioned and talked about consistently. And that's like a major feature that I definitely want to talk about, especially for not just what it does now, but some of your big plans for the future. Um, so before we get there, for those not familiar with it, could you describe? Maybe we should describe a little bit CoStar and what it does, just for those not familiar with it. It's so it's a popular astrology app for iPhone and Android. It calculates your birth chart, provides some basic birth chart interpretations, and also some daily transit notifications and interpretations. Is that a good description, or what else? How else would you describe it? It, cl- it it clusters those things in a few different ways, um, and there's an asynchronous messaging feature called Chaos Mode, uh, where you can send a friend a message and it gets sent when the stars align. Um, but yeah, broadly, you you download the app, put in your date, time, place, birth, get get your personalized horoscope. Awesome. Okay, and um, let me see. It was started in 2000. Uh, I think you said it was launched in October of 2017. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Okay. And I think I actually have. Is it okay if we show the birth chart? For sure. And what's the story? So, with most businesses, there's often like questions about what birth chart to use because there's multiple significant, like symbolic moments in time, which you could use as like the chart, but you have a specific one that you, you like to use for CoStar. Yeah. So we use this 10-5 one because it was when we submitted, after we submitted our app to the app store for public um, consumption, uh, Apple approved it and then we pushed go live. And it felt like the most like birthing moment of it. Right. So this is, so the data is October 5th, 2017, starting at 3.44 PM in New York City, New York. And it has, uh, for the audio listeners that are just listening to this, it has seven degrees of Aquarius rising, 
Oh, I'm actually I'm casting this. I made a mistake. I'm doing this in whole sign houses. But what's your preferred <laughs> method of house division? I like porphyry, but I I switch to whole signs from time to time. I did get thrown off for a split second when you opened oh, yeah. it. Well, I like, I was like to cast. This looks like the wrong chart. <laughs> I've been trying to be more intentional intentional about asking like guests over the past year or two what their preferred method of house division is, and then casting their chart or whatever chart we're looking at in that context. So. I'm going to recalculate it really quickly. So this is using um, porphyry houses, and um, here's the chart. So it has seven. It still will look a little weird because my chart design's not used to um, listing certain angles. But it has Aquarius rising. Uh, there's a stellium in Libra. So Mercury, the Sun, and Jupiter are up in Libra, sort of straddling the eighth and ninth houses. Um, Saturn is. At least the traditional ruler of the ascendant, and it's up in Sagittarius in the eleventh house um, in a day chart. Um, it's interesting you did this at a full moon, so the moon's at like thirteen Aries in the second house in Porphyry, and it's just coming off of the opposition with the Sun at twelve degrees of Libra. So it's a full moon, full moon baby. Uh, was that intentional or was that accidental? Uh, I think it was a little bit accidental in the sense of. We we got rejected from the app store uh, because of something stupid. I can't even remember what it was. Uh, and then it happened. Like we were trying to launch earlier, uh, but then it was, was oh cool, it's the full moon. How long was the development phase, or how long had you been working on it by the time this launch happened in October? Um, so we started really working on it late spring, uh, and. We launched a beta on our website, which still exists. It's pretty janky. Uh, we launched with um, the circle chart that people are clamoring for, uh, okay. and we got boatloads of emails that were just like, "What the fuck is yeah, this?" Yeah, I don't know. How to read. That's that's um, really that's really funny and ironic in retrospect. So you started with circle charts, and due to user feedback, you switched to the square chart format that's now become the classic co-star format, which is yeah. In some circles, you know, appreciated. In some circles, much much reviled by circle chart users. Understatement of the year. But I mean, right. even on the website, eighty percent of people were coming on mobile, like not on a desktop computer. Um, and it's I, like I understand how to read a circle chart. It's not terribly comfortable to read a circle chart on your phone. Like mm. <laughs> right. I I use a computer if I want to look at a circle chart. Um, Personally. Okay, so that might be a recurring theme. Then is something I, th I know we'll come back to again. Is sometimes, um, you know, your initial direction you might go as an astrologer with things versus sometimes making changes due to user feedback. And if the majority of your users are not like intermediate or advanced astrologers, they might have certain preferences, or some things might make it harder to interface with the the app. The if you go versus if you go another direction. For sure. Um, I mean, honestly, I don't think the really, really serious astrology community is looking for like a new cute app that sends them funny push notifications. Yeah, like, right. uh, I, I think it's like it's an interesting social experiment, a la Twitter or Instagram. You know, like what happens if I connect with my friends on here? But it's not. To cast charts and do reading, you're not just going to be like, "Let me just pull up your co-star. Let's look at your, you know, right. whatever." So, so your target audience wasn't like you weren't imagining like Rob Hand sitting down for a consultation, like pulling out co-star, <laughs> co 
to calculate like the person's um, tertiary secondary progressions or something like that. For sure. Okay. Um, but that said, like it's really nice to have just a little list of people and not having to be like, can you just find out what time you were born and just be in like add me on CoStar. Um, right. But when we launched, you know, we definitely had some astrologers early on, but mostly we launched to the fashion world. Like, I'm pretty sure Michael Kors was one of our first handful of users just because I worked at Michael Kors like three, four levels underneath him. Uh, but somebody told him about it. He's into astrology. And so somebody like that looks at a circle chart and they're like, what the fuck is this? Right. Because one of the big stumbling blocks for people that are new to astrology is they don't know how to read the glyphs, which are like a um are literally like an alphabet and a separate language that if you haven't memorized them, you it doesn't look like anything. It just looks like squiggly lines. Yeah. And I mean that's also part of the magic. You know, I bounce around a lot on this um uh, on the on my love or care for the esoteric in astrology. You know, there's something very attractive about the old books that are like, if you tell anybody about this, uh, the gods are going to curse you and locusts will come after you. Um, but it's 2021. Like, everyone should have access to tools that make them feel better and uh, give them like new ways to think about their lives. Yeah, the um, that's a tension in the astrological community that's been an ongoing one for a very long time in terms of the accessibility of astrology, how accessible should astrology be to the mainstream public versus how much should it be kept as this like um, secret knowledge or secret wisdom. And then also once you get into it, the issue sometimes that occurs of like gatekeeping astrology and gatekeeping the knowledge or the wisdom of it in some sense, and the tension between different groups within the community that won't want to push it in one direction or another. I mean, I I have really, really strong opinions about this. Uh, before CoStar, I worked as a graphic designer and as like a product person. I had no training for either of those things. I came up in a punk scene where you could make music without actually really knowing how to play any instrument or really knowing how to sing. Um, and I think those things are really good. And I think that uh, you know, the world that I want to live in is one where two dumbass bike shop people invent airplanes, not the American military with millions of dollars behind them. Hmm. Well, that's a good segue then to back up a little bit and talk about your background and what your background in astrology is and, and just where you're coming from um, prior to, to co-stars. So tell me a little bit about yourself. What's your story? Yeah, so I was born in Texas uh, to Pakistani and Turkish family. Um, we used astrology. My family used astrology alongside palmistry and um, coffee readings for all kinds of things. From you know, uh, one of my aunt's names is spelled a particular way because of numerology. I remember being like six and t being taught how to read palms by an uncle, um, predicting earthquakes all of it just kind of being jumbled up with sort of scientific pragmatism of very recent immigrants. Um, and I went to school for psychology. I worked as a bike messenger for a bunch of years. Then I got into a very bad car accident uh, that ended my 
burgeoning bike messenger career, um, took a bunch of zines and posters and packaged them up as a portfolio, um, got a random job in the fashion world, got fired because they found out that I didn't actually know how to design anything, uh, realized that I needed to learn about this thing called typography, um, and then slowly just built a career in the fashion world, working at companies like DBF, Michael Kors, um, Alex Anani, V-Files, Ann Taylor. And then in 2016, Trump got elected. I was going through my Saturn return. I was like, cool, I've really got to do something else. Yeah, so so part of this, and I don't know whatever you're comfortable mentioning, but you just mentioned your Saturn return. So part of your Saturn return story was actually starting CoStar. Yeah. I mean, I think that was just such a weird time. It felt like the world was ending uh, in in political ways, but also in personal ways. And just being like, I didn't, I didn't mean to become somebody who's extremely good at selling clothes on the internet, but now I am a person who's extremely good at selling clothes on the internet. Yeah, and yeah, and I can understand um, some of the political stuff that was going on at that time period in like 2016 had gotten really crazy. Especially, I'm sure for somebody like yourself coming from a, a background with um, family from like the Middle East and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I remember the day after Trump getting elected, um, seeing an old friend also brown and like meeting eyes from across the room and just like hugging and both like crying, crying, crying. <laughs> and I think that was like a, yeah, very, very, um, time. Yeah. Um, I just remember that whole period. That was one of the sort of Saturn and Sagittarius, um, themes that like became very strong, but some of the like xenophobia from that time period and, um, it's interesting now thinking back to some of the people that were going through their Saturn returns at that time in retrospect and how they were impacted in different ways. Um, so let's see. So backing up, so you had a background in design. What was your background in terms of astrology or who were some of your influences as an astrologer? Uh, so I had just kind of grown up around the idea of astrology as a concept. Um, and then got really into it when I was in college and was dating someone who was like, you really have no idea how to talk about your feelings at all, which is and remains somewhat true. Um, that's what they said to you. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, they were really into astrology and were working at a bookstore where they would get just boatloads of books, all kinds, um, but including astrology books that they started reading to me from. And I was like, oh, so this is like this alt way of talking about your feelings that's not really talking about your feelings, but somehow you're happy when I talk about, you know, what what's happening with my Aries midheaven, you know, whatever it is. Um, and just started getting deeper and deeper in. I think Stephen Forrest was a big flip for me just because he's really a poet who uses astrology as like the lens, sort of. Right. Yeah, he's a very good and very evocative writer. That's something that people often comment. I know my partner Lisa's one of her favorite books is the 
Inner Sky by Stephen Forrest. I know a lot of people, that's one of their favorites of his. Well, it's just brutal. Like You can read it from beginning to end and just be like, feel like you've been stabbed and punched in the heart over and over and over. Right. Uh, which is sometimes a good feeling, sometimes not so much. That's one of the double-edged things with astrology. And I wonder actually, like you mentioning it that in that way, um, one of the things that's interesting, maybe worth remarking on, is just sometimes growing up in a tradition where some divination was used around you, sometimes divination is presented much more in a much more straightforward way and in a way that sometimes I feel like Western astrologers almost see as brutal or kind of um, um, insensitive in some ways. And I, and I wondered if that impacted you at all in terms of seeing that delineation style versus reading somebody like Stephen Forrest who sometimes will pull punches like a little bit to a certain extent, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think that like especially in my family, there's no concern about saying things that I think in Western astrology not sorry, not Western, uh, like American style astrology. You mm. just don't say, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, that's a common thing. Like when people go to <laughs> like a, an astrologer from India and they'll calculate like your length of life or something like that. Yeah. That's just like a common thing that you're supposed to do. Versus some modern Western American like psychological astrologers, like that would be. Seen as like unethical or something like that, and that's been an interesting debate in the astrological community in the past twenty or thirty years, as there's been this revival of older forms of astrology. Yeah, I mean, I I feel a lot of intense conflict about this in general. You know, uh, one of the stories I think about a lot is my uncle and saw an astrologer before marrying my aunt, um, and they were from. Uh, different casts, so they, they weren't supposed to get married. And mm. when they got the astrology reading, the astrologer said that my uncle would die in three years. Wow. So let them get married because he's going to die in three years. Okay. And, you know, three years later, he's on a flight. I can't remember from where to where. This was back in the 80s. And the flight hits some turbulence, and he randomly remembers that his astrologer told him he'd die today. And he was like, cool, uh, the plane's going to crash, I'm going to die. And he didn't. Yeah, he's still alive. Um, but just to him, this is why astrology is bad. Because, you know, the astrologer predicted he would die on this day, and then it gave him this, like, intense anxiety when that day came. Um when normally I think most of us hit hit a bit of turbulence on our plane and are like, nah, not comfortable, but probably fine. Um, also, for at least half of my family, any kind of future prediction is not fine. Um, like from a Muslim stance, uh, you can use astrology, numerology, na na na, as long as you're not predicting the future. Okay. So, like predicting the present. So it has to be. Only about the present, or it has to be only like psychologically based, like yeah. character analysis, and that's sort of okay or seen as a gray area. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, yeah, I mean that. So that raises some interesting questions. I mean, we can get into more later when we get into <laughs> philosophy, just in terms of, of yeah, like um, statements that astrology can make, and and when astrology is accurate or when it's not accurate, as well as um, 
how to frame things and stuff like that. That's always a dicey question for for astrologers. Um, okay, so let me back up. Um, why why <laughs> the name? Co- that's all right. These are fun philosophical direct regressions that I want to get into. I just want to make sure I finish this sort of introduction. Why is it named CoStar? Uh, my poet friend Lisa Lisa Hanrahan, Google her. She's a great poet. Uh, came up with it. Um, I actually wanted to call the app Horrorscope, uh, and it's still actually the name of several docs. One of our GitHub repos is still called Horrorscope. Um, like like the horror horror movie genre. Yeah. Okay. Horrorscope. So it- so it was it was um almost envisioned from the start as something that would be kind of like um jokey or or kind of edgy in, in some way. Yeah, I think more like goth uh than edgy but just I think that there's a trend in a lot of the and and especially, you know, back in 2017. Um there was this trend of having this really touchy-feely fluffy astrology um like mainstream astrology just took everything complicated about astrology out and was just like you're great beautiful fantastic 10 out of 10 great day today don't worry um and so from the beginning there was like we were oriented against that aesthetic okay that's really interesting cuz that's been a a really stark thing over the past year where you know, there's some astrologers that, like, as a general point, they say that they, they will not make negative statements about in forecast about things that are coming up. And in 2020, we ran into finally, because usually the horror stories for astrology are are the the scenarios where the astrologer predicts something terrible and it doesn't happen, and the astrologer is taking from that, well, wasn't that bad then that it unnecessarily caused anxiety. But then in 2020, we learned the opposite scenario, which is what happens if the astrologer predicts, you know, it'll be a great year, and then all of a sudden, like a worldwide pandemic happens, and hundreds of thousands of people die and lose their jobs or get sick or what have you, and and if you didn't like accurately because you were worried about causing unnecessary anxiety, what happens if you didn't, you know, say what you saw coming up? Yeah, and I, I mean, I think really the question is what is. Um, a reading or horoscope uh, supposed to do. It's supposed to like turn your attention towards something, right? And I think there are ways of delivering what we might call bad news in a way that aren't isn't like anxiety inducing. You're going to die on this day, but like t- turns people's attentions toward the sort of less fun aspects of life, which are just part of life. I, I had this app on my phone very briefly uh, that texted me every morning uh, an invocation of death, like just random death-related thoughts. And I think a lot of that like old Buddhist meditation where you imagine your lover with worms in their eye sockets rotting. And I think that's really good. I think it's actually really healthy to think about that stuff. Um, in the sense of what, with the the Buddhist in, uh, imagery, what does that invoke in you? Just understanding that everything is ultimately on the same terrain, like, like everyone is in, going to die. Okay. Yeah, and there's a difference between the general idea of your lover dying and 
saying your lover is going to die on July 7th, 2022. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I'm loving that part of the, now I'm having a conflict because I'm vibing with this because I have like a Scorpio sun and I think we share some placements. They're very similar. Um, but I can see like there's some placements in your chart that are really good. And I don't know if you know how much you want to talk about your chart, but um, I think that's like part of where that's coming from in terms of or the similarity in some of our placements in terms of one that if you felt like sharing that at all, it's kind of up to you. How how do you feel about sharing your chart in general or what's your stance on that? I'm fine with it. Um you know, one thing I do think about sporadically is that there there is definitely an anti-Scorpio thing happening uh on the internet for the past several years. Hmm. And so it's not surprising uh, that, you know, talking about death too much gets you into trouble. <laughs> um, do you mind sharing your sun sign? I'm a Scorpio. <laughs> okay. So you're Scorpio sun and you're kind of not too far um, after born after me. So you actually have um, Pluto there as well, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's without really revealing too much, That's I think that's just an interesting piece of background information in terms of some of the things you think about and how you think about them and some of the things then that went into the app and how you're describing this. And both in terms of some of the goth aesthetic, which actually makes much more sense now. And I can see that more clearly in terms of the design and the overall you know, just aesthetic, um, but also how you're thinking in terms of saying sometimes a phrase can like um, Turn your mind or draw your mind towards certain thoughts. And it seems like that's one of the underlying motivations with the app as well. Yeah, totally. I mean, the I think the most therapeutic effect of astrology, and I, I'm curious on as to your take on this, uh, is that it shifts your attention. And I think I and most people I know get trapped in these loops where we're like, my world is extremely tiny and I can only pay attention to this and I can only think one thought about it and I will only think that one thought about it until I explode. And having the whole circle and understanding like the sort of the expansiveness of our emotional worlds is extremely comforting and like moving between them. Uh, fluidly, I think is extremely powerful. Yeah, and, and maybe that takes it back to that feeling that you had in college of astrology being a way to um, become introspective and to like access one's emotions and internal worlds and reflect on those things in a way that's almost intellectual without doing it directly. It's like a, a I don't want to say crutch, but it's like a, a bridge to doing that that might be. Um, more accessible for people than than just you know diving into like deep introspective on introspection on your own without any help. For sure, and I mean I think for a lot of intellectuals, philosophy and political science functions in the same way. Um, I think it's just like you pick a poison that's actually not a poison. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's a good. Um, thing. Let me see some other things I meant to mention in terms of just introduction stuff. Um, so, but I'm not sure. It's like a, there, so. There's one direction we can go with this. One of them is I wanted to do a little segment addressing some like misconceptions as well as some issues surrounding the app. It seems like with great success comes um, pushback sometimes. 
And it seems like CoStar is somewhat unique in being singled out for criticism pretty frequently, it seems like, sometimes um, excessively. And I know, was that one of your motivations last month in terms of doing the AMA on Reddit, or to what extent was clearing up some misconceptions like part of your motivation there? Yeah, I mean, I think I've I've heard the rumors and you know, some of them are really off the wall. Like I love hearing in a weird sort of self uh deprecating way that two white men started co-star and I'm like, yeah, I'm like two white men in a trench coat. That's funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I I think that we've intentionally kind of been opaque in letting people behind the curtain. Um, and just kind of intentionally trying to be a little bit more transparent. Okay. And and I think you said in passing at one point when we were when I was preparing for this episode that um because you tend to be you tend to be kind of a private person in terms of your personal life, so that earlier on you were less sort of out there front and center in terms of the face of being the actual founder. Um, and that could have led to some of those ideas or those rumors or misconceptions maybe early on as well. I mean, I don't even think the fact that I'm half Turkish and half Pakistani was on the internet until two months ago. <laughs> okay, um, and I meant to ask because um, I, since I did an episode with Michael Morris, it was in um, in addition to like house divisions. Another one was just asking for like pronouns and things like that. Do you have preferred pronouns? She/her. She/her. Okay, good. Good to know. Um, all right, so let's talk about some of the the misconceptions then. Um, so. One of the misconceptions, or at least I'll ask you if it's a misconception, but one of the things that's commonly claimed that I think I asked on Reddit in the AMA was something like CoStar does not employ any any astrologers, or there's no astrologers on the payroll, or something like that is like commonly repeated. And I was curious to ask you, like, is that true, or where did that come from, or do you have any idea? I have no idea. I think that part of the rumor stems from this interview I did where I, I was talking about how we had to study old astrology texts for months to figure out how to program it, which was true. Um, but that that like certainly wasn't our first time doing astrology. Um, so pe people like inferred from that 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 meant you were like brand new to astrology and just decided to start learning it to create an app to make money or something like that. But that was a misunderstanding of you probably needed to like figure out how to calculate things and do time time zone conversions to get the ascendant right and then do the math for the different house or you know quadrant houses and things like that. House systems pain in the fucking ass. <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, that said, like earlier on, Laura Connor, Dr. Jennifer Freed both consulted Alice Sparkly Cat. Uh, Hannah Her joined us probably um, eight months in full time. Stone Parkway joined us actually before Hannah, um, and they're both full time on staff. Uh, so I, these are all all astrologers that you have been paid and that have worked for CoStar in some capacity or consulted over the years. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, Alice Sparkly Cat is really cool, and I've been following their. Uh, them for a while now and on Twitter, and I'm looking forward. They have a book that's coming out that I'm hoping to interview them about in a few months. Um, they actually sent me a review copy like last month, but somebody stole it from the mailroom like downstairs in my building. So there's like somebody wandering around Denver that has 
advanced copy of a book on post-colonial astrology that I hope they're really, really enjoying. Um, but I'm hoping to read the book before too long to do that interview later this year. Yeah, I'll mail you my copy. I already read it. It was You've phenomenal. already read it. Is it good? Okay. Um, really, really good. I'm really looking forward to the broad reception because I think they're they're rigorous in a way that I think a lot of writers in general, like not even astrology writers, uh, are. And I think the way they sort of the fluid fluidity with which they kind of twist through the ideas and weave through these like varying contexts is just really, really great. Yeah, definitely. They're a really amazing um writer and that seems they they do a good job of blending some ancient and some modern astrology as well. Is that something they brought in terms of the any consulting or work that they did for you for CoStar? Yeah. I mean, I think that their intellectual sluttiness, for lack of a better word, is just like phenomenal across the board. Definitely. All right. Um, so that I think that addresses that pretty well. In addition to just the fact that it turns out that you, as the founder, were not that you you'd had some relationship with astrology and gotten into it seriously in college almost a decade before founding CoStar. So you'd had plenty of a history of yourself in addition to having. Worked had other astrologers on the payroll. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, let's see. So, some people complain about presenting the chart as a table rather than a circle, and I was curious. Um, I guess we've touched upon that briefly. You said that in the initial versions of the app, it was a circle, but then a lot of the user feedback was like, "I can't read this," and so you ended up changing it for stylistic reasons to be more of like a table. Yeah, so several things. Uh, just a quick correction. It was never the circle chart on the app. It was the circle chart on our website, um, which is still available if you go to coastarastrology.com slash nothing. Sorry, just stop at the dot com. Uh, at the bottom of the page, you can put in your natal info, your date, time, place of birth, and it'll spit out a circle chart. Um, the reason that we don't have that in the app was first of all because when people started playing with the website we had a huge resounding response of what the hell is this thing um and i i think that makes sense both from a i'm not familiar with astrology perspective but also from a just form perspective when you're looking at something on a mobile phone you know uh, back in the day in, in antiquity you would have the chart on these huge wooden boards and you would show the planets with these little gems. And that's really aesthetic and cool and fun. How how are you going to jam that huge thing into a screen this big? So uh, I think I wrote something to you about how it was. It's it's like trying to use a spoon for heart surgery. And the more interesting question is like, what can a spoon do that a scalpel can't? Yeah, that makes sense in terms of the the just different considerations of form versus function, and also um, maybe I should show actually a picture for those watching the video version. Um, so this is from the Android version, but this is just like what my chart looks like in CoStar, just for reference. For there the record, go. I believe the iOS version looks slightly better. Does it? Okay, and that yeah, and that's something we should actually talk about is the difference between. 
iOS and Android and why there are some differences. Um, so this is it shows like your your big three at the very top, which I like really like, um, with a sun symbol and then an up arrow for the rising and then a moon symbol for the moon. And then it shows the signs of the zodiac in a table on the left and then your planets uh, with both the glyph as well as the name of the planet next to it, which is actually really cool because then you're actually teaching people to read the glyphs. And then it shows what house each of the planets is placed in on the right. So that's that's like the basic method, and this has become the um, sort of uh, unique or or trade not trademark, but the unique way that CoStar presents the information of a person's birth chart, basically. Yeah. So you know, we make the decision to leave out a bunch of stuff, but the trade-off is more people can look at this, and even if you don't really know anything about astrology, you can be like, hmm, there's a lot of planets next to this number. I don't know what that means, but I feel like this number is important, you know, and it just sort of like logically gives you a sense of what you can extract from looking at it. Yeah, it gives you a, like a starting point and an entryway into astrology and the full version of astrology, where actually this is an accurate like accounting of your birth chart and the different placements. So this is cast using um, porphyry houses. And that's the 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 system that that CoStar uses is Porphyry, right? That's right. Okay, and that was actually one of the questions. Let me see where that was. But basically, I mean, that's basically one of the other. Um, it's not a complaint, but one of the questions is why do you use Porphyry houses, or what led to that as a like a technical decision. Well, it's the oldest system, uh, the oldest quadrant style system. Um, two, I really like that the first house is the ascendant and the tenth house is the midheaven, mm -hmm. and I think it just makes it really easy to glance at. I'm a lazy, fundamentally lazy person. Like I, I, you know, part of this is part of why CoStar works. Like I'm fundamentally lazy. I'm like I don't want to do any work to just get the broad strokes of something. I'll I'll fire up Astro Gold if I really have to. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've been talking about adding other house systems. There's a little poll in settings, but such a tiny, tiny percentage of people who use the app have voted on whole sign or placidus um and even the majority of people who even tap into that are like i don't care i'm just clicking around the app right i saw that poll when i opened up the house settings it had a little poll for if you want whole sign or if you want placidus or if you just don't care and you said on the reddit ama that only something like 0.5% of people that use the app had responded yeah Okay, responded so with any answer other than I don't care. <laughs> okay, so this is one of those issues in terms of um, what like intermediate or advanced astrologers want or would want in an app versus what the majority of like your users that are not really super technically motivated want. Yeah, and I mean, there's also like an underlying technical issue, right? So if you the the way that we would have to handle charts is pretty different if we want to support multiple house systems and mm. so there are a lot of sorry i'm trying to make this really simple so there are a lot of ways of storing data that if you have 
unlimited space and are doing really basic calculations that are just not, it, it's just not an issue. Like if you, Chris, wanted to have a personal spreadsheet of every single person you know, let's say 500 people, you probably know more people, 5,000 people, and you wanted to have like 30 unique pieces of information for each of them, you know, like what hair color, what height, I, I don't know what, why you would store that data in a spreadsheet, but let's pretend. Um, that's that's fine. It's 5,000. When you're operating on a larger scale with millions, billions of individual rows, it starts to get really complicated. And you have to come up with all these weird little hacks for how to store data. And so the most fluid way of doing whole sign, uh, for instance, would be that you, Chris, could change your chart to be whole sign. And if my chart were porphyry, it would remain porphyry even if you looked at it. Mm. That's okay. obviously a new can of worms because obviously like whole sign stands want everyone's charts to be whole sign. So then right. do we just duplicate everyone's chart one to two times once for whole sign, one twice for whole sign and Placidus? And it just becomes a nightmare scenario that's not actually a nightmare scenario in general. It's just because we're dealing with such a huge quantity of information. Sure. So but it's just not it's not a it's a non-trivial thing to integrate some of these technical options into the program when you're dealing with like millions of users. I mean, forget technical options. We our push notifications fail multiple times per week. Uh <laughs> So you've had to put. I think that was one of the things you said in the notes that you've had to allocate a lot more resources to just like keeping things going since the app took off in terms of scaling, in terms of that many people using the app and like keeping things online and making sure basic things are functioning before you can even start thinking about like expanding it and like throwing in different obscure like techniques and house systems and things like that. Yeah, and I mean. I have a list a mile long, as does I think everyone who works at CoStar, of things that they want in the app. Um, but uh, you know, for the past I, I think four or five months, we've really not released anything new. We're just trying to keep the thing up, what with you know a million people banging on it at a time, and keep up with demand. And and that brings up another point, which I've heard from other um, app developers before, and they had explained it to me. Um, maybe you can explain it to me better, but just that you launched on iOS first because iOS, which is for iPhones, um, tends to be the main um, app store and the main like phone that most mobile device users are using, and also it's a more stable platform or something like that. Versus people usually launch their Android app later because there's so many different versions of Android that it's harder to keep. All of them on the same page, or something like that. Am I explain that right, or how has that worked yeah, for you? Exactly. So there are literally, not literally, uh, there are thousands, maybe tens of thousands of unique Android devices with slightly different versions of. Uh, it's not called Android. Uh, what's the operator? No, it is Android. Uh, with slightly different versions, you know, Lollipop or whatever, um, and. So there was this bug on Android. We were talking about it before we went live, um, where so on some devices, your ascendant would go to the 12th house. And we actually didn't know. On staff, I think we have three, maybe four Androids. 
Mm-hmm. And the bug didn't happen on any of those four androids. But okay. it happened for some subset of people with, you know, some, I, I can't remember which phone it was. And it's just like the way that it calculates when you say X, it understands Y. And so it just loops it around. It, all these like minute differences, whereas iOS automatically upgrades everyone to the latest iOS. So you have to okay. support the last one for a little while. But there's basically like the small size, the medium size, the large size right now's version of iOS and previous one versus tens of thousands of unique variations of Android and form factor and blah, blah, blah. And it just becomes a nightmare to maintain. Okay. That's really good to know. So that's <laughs> one of the reasons then. So why um, mo- for most apps really, but also for your app that um, most of the newer features and the more advanced features are available primarily for iOS, definitely first and sometimes exclusively and then later they get rolled out to Android, or in some instances might not be available on Android uh, yet or at all, just because it's harder to develop to develop for Android. It's definitely not forever. It's definitely just a question of Android lagging behind. Uh, we launched Android just over a year ago, um, and it's still just behind. We're still catching up. Okay, cool. Well, that actually leads us to one other question then that you kind of just answered. But one of them, there's um. Like rumors or accusations that sometimes CoStar is inaccurate, and um, it seems like sometimes you know there's some instances where, for example, you mentioned like the Ascendant, where somebody had sent me a picture where like the Ascendant was listed as being in the twelfth house, which you said was just a bug in one of the Android versions, but it's something that has been fixed, or you think it's been fixed recently? Yeah, I'm ninety nine point nine nine percent confident that it's been fixed uh, as of September. Um, if anybody has a fucked up chart, please email us horoscopes okay. at costarastrology.com. So any like issues you're like actively working to fix that you'd like to know if there's something that's off to like let you know so you guys can get on top of it? Yeah. Uh this does not include people who think that Placidus is the only house system because we do not support Placidus in the app currently. We are exploring it, as we mentioned before, kind of a pain to build, but uh, make sure you're talking about Porphyry House system. Yeah. So that's another thing which I've come across as I was trying to research this and like to what extent um, people were finding actual bugs in the program versus I did find a number of people that seemed like their main issue was just that they were expecting the placements to be in Placidus placements and they had always known their placements based on that being the default in other websites or other apps or programs from Placidus so that when they calculated their chart on CoStar because it was using poor free house cusps, that would shift some of their placements slightly. So they they thought that that was like a bug in CoStar, but it was really just a difference of house division. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's an interesting then sort of misconception in terms of people needing to be aware of that and is again just interesting in terms of using porphyry. I never thought it would be that that um, controversial to use porphyry houses, and it's something even like a decade ago I noticed there was an uptick in porphyry becoming much more popular because a lot of the evolutionary astrologers were using it. I think because Jeffrey Wolf Green chose that as his default system or something like that. But I don't think I think Stephen Forrest uses Placidus, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. I mean. Uh- 
I, I think especially with house systems, but basically across the board, there are a billion, you know, as many astrologies as there are astrologers. And I think some people feel really committed to the one that they came up with. Um, you know, I definitely have Vedic astrology family members who are like, what the hell are you doing? Right. <laughs> so, you know, happens. Yeah. Well, and I mean, in terms of, of quadrant systems, though, I mean, I think that's a valid point that Porphyry is the oldest quadrant house system, as far as we can tell, or as far as I know. Um, you know, Porphyry describes it in the third century, but then also Vadius Valens describes it a century before that in the second century. Um, so it was being used very early on, and that's just as valid of a reason to like pick a house system than um, you know, what other people other reasons why people have used Placidus, which is just that it's the default in most programs and it's what they've started with. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Placidus is what, 300, 400 years old? Yeah, something like that. I did an episode with Anthony Lewis a year or so ago where we talked about the reasons why Placidus sort of became the default system. And there was some interesting history around that over the past four or 500 years. Um, but needless to say, it's not. It's not always necessarily that there's like a technical reason why a certain system becomes the default, but sometimes there's social and philosophical and like political reasons why certain systems come to dominate in certain periods for different reasons. Yeah, I mean, you you put this to rest this morning, but uh, I also felt really attracted to Porphyry as a person, vegetarian, rabble rouser, uh, loved logic, but Balance did it so. Yeah, sorry. To, that was one of I liked that. That was some of your motivations in terms of Porphyry and his like background, which is very interesting and colorful. He's like one of the most more notable philosophers of like the third and fourth century. Um, but yeah, Valens mentions it a, a century earlier, so it's kind of a, a accident of history that we associate it with Porphyry instead of calling it like the Valentinian house system or something like that. Sounds very romantic. Yeah, I mean, it does have a ring to it. So we'll have to, we'll see if we can start start that as a trend. Um, all right. So let me go back to our things. So, table chart rather than the circle, it's artistic. One of the things I, I meant to mention about that, why I don't have as much of a problem with that is just if you look back historically, charts are presented in a lot of different formats. And there's a lot of different styles, even in use today. In like North India, they have the Diamond pattern charts, and in South India they have um, these like square charts that are sort of circular or like a big square, but within that you have a bunch of like twelve little squares. So in the history of astrology, even though the circle is popular now, it seems like it goes through different phases at different points in history. So as long as you're presenting the data or the information correctly, I don't really understand fully why people um, make. Too much of a big deal about it not being like presented in a circular chart versus something else. Well, look, I'm extremely finicky. Uh, you know, I I bought an IKEA duvet cover a few weeks ago, and I realized it was not the same one I had before, and I got really upset. Uh, I think that's one part of it. I think more specifically with this question, I think a lot of people are frustrated they can't see aspects. Um, and obviously aspects are important, but I don't think a circle chart on a mobile device is the correct way to find aspects anyway. Um, so 
again, going back to the trying to do heart surgery with spoon, like what can a spoon be good for instead that a scalpel isn't good for um, becomes the question then. Right. That makes sense. Um, and you said that you can actually, for iOS users, once they create a profile on like the, the, the app itself, um, you can actually go to the website and log in and it will calculate like a circular chart for you. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, you're coming through with the useful information that I should be mentioning. Um, if, if you're on iOS, you're on the app. If you go to settings, turn on public profile, a little link will pop up below. Uh, and that link, it will be something along the lines of costarastrology.com slash your username. And then you can pop that open right there on your desktop computer, see your aspects. It's also using Porphyry. So if you're not into Porphyry, you're not going to be happy with it. Um, but that feature doesn't exist in Android. Uh, you can also just go to costarastrology.com, scroll to the bottom, put in your natal info and your email address, I think, uh, and get it right there. Yeah, I just went into under the website and did that. So right at the bottom of the homepage, there's a way to just enter your birth data, and then it'll pop out like a chart for you, and it calculates your chart accurately. It calculated my ascendant accurately at 17 degrees Aquarius, and then gives some interpretations and everything else. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and cool. uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, that's good to know. I think that's helpful for people. Um, let's see. So charts being calculated wrong, we addressed that. Um, one of the common complaints is that the delineations that CoStar gives are sort of designed sometimes to see to be somewhat provocative or sarcastic or edgy or funny um, or sensationalist. Sometimes I'm not sure if that's the goal. Um, and to what extent some of the delineations um, there's like a tension between that being by design and there being a sort of almost satire component that's built into it versus when sometimes there's mistakes or missteps or something is like gone too far or something like that how is what's been the process with that over the history of costar well uh so when we launched we didn't have any push notifications um and then we had a summary based on each planet you had like an emoji pair uh, sorry, we clustered the planets together in various ways. Like uh, Mars and Venus were like the two heart emojis, and then it would have smiley face if you had a lot of trines and um, a meh face for conjunctions, oppositions, sad face, and so on. Um, sorry, sad face for squares, and and then we started playing around with these. Uh, what is now known as a co-star push notification. Um, our two writers uh, did multiple versions of them, um, and we just kind of tried to test them to get a sense. Uh, I definitely am the reason that they get really edgy because I, I'm like, yeah, I totally want to spend my mornings thinking about worms crawling out of my lover's eyes. I think it makes me care about my lover more. Um, and so I'm definitely the source of like, yeah, let's push people. Like it's healthy to think about the worst thing that can happen um, and become comfortable with that sort of fund fundamental impermanence. Um, we've... We've gotten really much softer over time. I think 
when we were primarily used in New York by people who were friends and friends of friends and friends of friends of friends, it was okay to be pretty edgy, um, but or to be edgier. Um, but we've definitely dialed it back, especially starting once um, the quarantine started. I think we all decided it was like not the time to be brutal and push. Uh, okay, especially so in New York there has been a process and it's been like an evolving thing and there has been attempts once you get feedback or in, in years like this to kind of like read the room and dial it back when when necessary yeah for sure i mean there there have been like obviously we've made mistake after mistake after mistake like we're failing and learning in public um but the intent is always to make to give people like something that swerves their attention in some way and ultimately make people feel better not to make fun of them okay and here's a that's interesting that initially the the push notifications were like emojis and you're trying to convey the transits based on that um here's one of the notifications i got the other day that it just said uh find ways to increase your ability to act and to think which is a good, I think that encapsulates pretty well what you're saying about getting your attention to swerve towards whatever the transit of the day or the focus of the day is. Um, what are the push notifications based on? Uh, is it based on actual astrological transits or what mm -hmm. technically are they based on? Yeah, so it's based on a combination of your top transit and your placements. You can find your top trends. This is like not great, <laughs> obvious design, um, but on iOS, not I, I'm. Pr you tell me, Chris, whether this is on Android. But if okay, if you look, if you come down to all updates and then tap, sorry, it's loading, and tap the first link where it says starts with today, that's your top transit. Okay, so if you go to say that all updates. Mm -hmm. and then, and then it you, should say good afternoon chris you get your push notification power pressure trouble and then it says today does the first right. sentence link oh it does you're right yes cool it's on android too <laughs> um it says communications enhancing and then what does it say oh mercury's currently one sign away for the moon when you're born this angle semi sextile is understood as positive okay so it is telling you if you click the first link what the underlying transit is that it's interpreting that it's giving you a delineation for yeah so it's like it's non-obvious and that's our bad right like we we ship things and we don't always put everything that we should um yeah well you're designing the it top transit you're the vast like 90 probably nine i guess or 98 percent of your users are non-astrologers so they're not interested in or don't have the technical sophistication necessarily to even understand that information if you were trying to like push it in their face so that's not it seems like your primary concern necessarily exactly okay cool so that's good to know so it's a mixture of like transits as well as the natal interpretations um, it does say some of the natal placements that it gives you delineations for um, in terms of the delineations, so you've dialed it back a little bit. Some of them, sometimes they're meant to be more like funny or edgy in some ways or satirical, it seems like, right? Yeah. I mean, especially when you're like good, you, you got a lot of trines and sextiles, we will troll you a little bit. Okay. So one of them I saw, I thought it was funny. Somebody pointed out as like 
problematic, but I thought it was kind of funny. It said like start a cult was one of the push <laughs> notifications, yeah, which um, I I laughed at. And maybe that's just our shared like Scorpio humor, but um, that that makes me laugh. So I can appreciate that. Um, and I this mean, brings like go, go just just to interrupt, you mm. know. I don't think it's solely Scorpios. Like, I think there's a level on which giving people push notifications or whatever that say start a cult is fine. But there are always situations where, like, literally the day before somebody found out that somebody had been uh, kidnapped by a cult. And, you know, it, it, it's really hard to be really. And this is something I think about constantly. I, I've I've personally never had a friend get taken by a cult. I mean, certain like culty things, but not like a, a true cult where they're getting branded by like some sex offender. Um, and I think that like when you're operating at scale, it's really hard to always have a feeling of like, here's what's going too far. And like, I, I don't think we tell people start a cult anymore. We, we have other things of that ilk, but like that specific one is gone. Okay. Um, so there's, there's ones that were probably edgier early on that you tried and, and after feedback or after like thinking about it more, you're like, maybe that's not, not a good idea in today's world or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, people will email us and we're much better just for all listeners. We're much better at email than social media. We get, you know, literally thousands and thousands of DMs a, a day and actually deprioritized responding or looking at them quite a, quite a long time ago. Um, but email us. We generally respond within a week. Probably. Okay, but but that's good to know that you 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 do take feedback that's sent that way directly by email seriously and do try to incorporate it and like grow and learn as part of this process. That's only, I mean, knowing that you launched it because for some reason in my mind when I think about and maybe it's just how long this year has been, but I assume CoStar has been around for like a decade now. But knowing that you only launched it like a couple of years ago is pretty wild. Thinking about. How fast you've probably had to learn with with its success happening that fast, and just what that has probably been like to keep up on top of having millions of users. Yeah, and I mean, look, we've been profoundly lucky in so many different ways, but also we're still just like fifteen people who mostly live in New York. You know, we have a minority of men on the team. We have a minority of uh, white people on the team, and. We're, we're just like humans uh, having, you know, weird bouts of panic uh, on Monday afternoons. Uh, and I, I think that's not, not obvious, which is cool in a sense. Like we seem like this big institution of people wearing suits and at an office with like a cafeteria and a ping pong room. But truth is, we're, we're all sitting by our Ikea couches, you know? I, I love that, and I can actually relate to that just because it seems like when something becomes successful um, or it's been around for a little while or becomes mainstream, that there can be a perception by just normal people that it's like always been that way or that it's some sort of unreachable, like ivory tower type situation where, you know, people are just big shots that are calling calling the shots for certain things. And 
for me, for example, in the podcast, it went from something over the past few years where I was just doing it with friends occasionally, and it was like this blow-off thing, to suddenly some people treating it like it's a staple or like institution of the astrological community and therefore should have certain standards and certain things I should be doing um, in that way that was somewhat unexpected to me. And it's been weird adapting and getting used to that in the process and acting accordingly. I could kind of see how that something like that could have happened with you over a much more accelerated time frame of just like the past two or three years, basically. Yeah. And I mean, like also our team is like a bunch of fucking geniuses and we all work really, really hard. I'm not trying to like make some like, oh, we just, you know, stumbled into this. Um, but I don't think that we're so smart or so capable in a way that like you couldn't do this or like random listeners can't just like go make an app. Like it's hard and it's annoying and it's really, really exhausting. Um, but it's also, we live in this really cool time where basically everything's on the internet. You, you can find a PDF of your book on the internet. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I mean, unfortunately. I, mean, I also yeah. bought a copy. <laughs> okay, thank you. But I like having the PDF version too. Sure. Um, but like, you can also Google, how do I make an app? And there are just like tutorials that teach you how to program in Swift and like, Everything's really hard, but not so hard that it's impossible. You can build a plane. Two guys, I like the Wright brothers were just two guys who ran a bike shop. Yeah. Well, and sometimes it's that weird combination that you don't know until you experience it of, on the one hand, hard work and dedication and skill and knowledge, but then also like being in the right place at the right time and doing the right thing and having those two things collide and then have it take off. But it's, a weird mixture of the two that's hard to articulate until you experience that. Yeah. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, you just throw spaghetti at the wall, but but it's like well-researched spaghetti. <laughs> right. Like you have to get the noodle diameter as, as correct as you can before you throw it. And then if you're lucky, it, it'll work out. Um, Okay, so there was something I wanted to mention then before we moved on, which is just um, oh yeah, so there's there's a tension sometimes in the astrological community that I noticed because I've been seeing this with, for example, some Twitter accounts about the tension between um, the desire in some parts of the community to take astrology super seriously and to like um, improve the respectability of astrology because it's something that's like marginalized in society and therefore astrologers want to make astrology look more professional and more like a serious thing that it you know kind of is to a certain extent that it's amazing that it works at all and that it can do what it can do and it sort of deserves some reverence to a certain extent from that perspective which I'm on board with but then there's also this other pull in another direction sometimes of like can't we have some levity to astrology or can't we have make room for like satire or for um, dark humor or other things like that? And sometimes you'll have accounts like one of my favorite Twitter accounts is like the Sorrowscopes um, Twitter account, where they do just really satirical, like dark, you know, daily horoscopes for each sign. And sometimes it's just really funny, and sometimes it's really dark, and sometimes it's it's actually kind of profound. But it's kind of like interesting, and I always see things like that and I feel like there should be room for that on some level 
while also understanding and wanting to push for the other thing, which is like increasing the respectability of astrology. And I feel like to some extent, maybe CoStar gets stuck or, or gets caught in the middle of that tension in the community as well. Do you feel like that's the case at all? Or, or how do you feel about that? You know, I think the way that astrology has been built over the past several thousand years is through conflict of different schools of astrology. Um, and I think that's like still happening. And we've definitely put a stake in the ground for something that's sometimes satirical, sometimes deadly serious. Um, and something I think about a lot is like the Zapatistas in Mexico um, have this thing that they're not trying to build a world per se. They're trying to build a world where many worlds are possible. And I, I feel like there's probably something in that play, that, that school that seems the most correct, like this concept of, I don't think we have to choose. I think there can be like the satirical astrologers and there can be the super serious astrologers. Um, it's like saying, can you have satirical cooks who are making like, I don't know, pickles on celery? snacks and also gourmet cooks yeah why not like it's food uh i definitely partake in both <laughs> so i i don't think it's maybe i'm revealing that i don't think it needs to be this like strict cordoned off thing um astrology specifically but i also don't think that about anything else like i don't think rocket science is so hard that given a couple of months of study we couldn't muddle our way through the basics yeah i mean i think you know cuz if you take that other argument that it should only be taken seriously to the utmost extreme then it just means does that really mean that you can never joke about astrology that there can never be any room for making jokes or having fun with it or astrologers sharing on inside humor inside jokes amongst each other and the answer to that is obviously no that's that would take it to a, a weird extreme that's unnecessary and so that just gets into something that's already a core issue even with comedy or i hear comedians talk about amongst themselves which is like what are the boundaries of comedy and what's acceptable versus what's not and and often a resistance to putting firm limits on that um, although I know that that's a discussion in and of itself, so maybe we're opening up like way too big of a of a topic here for getting into like fundamental philosophical things about like the nature of comedy and what's <laughs> acceptable. But it's interesting questions for people to reflect on and ask themselves. I think when it comes to things like this, is just when trying to delimit like the the boundaries of what is acceptable and what's not. Um, you know, thinking about what extreme you're willing to take it to. If you're going to rule certain things out, I guess. Yeah, I mean, for a while in the office, we had a rule that you could only make fun of your own signs, mm. and okay. I think that's like an iteration on the same theme. Like, yeah, the nature of comedy is a very hard one, but I feel like there is a palpable difference between like the hurtful kind and the self-deprecating kind, and as Scorpio, like. I, totally. I, I love the latter. <laughs> yeah, totally. I like that. And that's a good thing to think about as well. There is a difference between like self-deprecation -depre versus like something that's just intended to be mean or harmful or, or negative or something like that. 
Um, so one thing I did want to touch on before we move out of this area is there was one area in terms of the delineations where sometimes people refer to or cite um, like delineations that refer to mental health that were perceived as harmful. And um, if that's something, there's a discussion in the community often I've seen come up in Twitter amongst some of the younger generations of astrologers over the past few years about to what extent astrology can speak speak to like mental health issues or different things like that. And I know that's something that CoStar has come under fire for in referring to like mental health at different in different ways. Um, what's been the history behind that, or to what extent has that come up for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that this was this is in reference to one meme that came out a while ago. Uh, that was something along the lines of Aries disappeared in a manic episode, or like the title of the meme was disappeared dot dot dot, and then you know it had all of the signs, and it was you know Aries disappeared in a manic episode. Um, we weren't trying to invoke bipolar. We were just using the word manic in a sort of colloqu colloquial way. Um, it makes sense that it didn't come off like that. Nobody knows who we are. Um, uh, we, we've since deleted it. Um, and yeah, I mean. So, so there's been times where maybe you guys have said something that you later regret or feel like was in poor taste and have deleted or changed or apologized for? For sure. And like, I'm sorry, just to say it again. Um, like, I, you, like, I think we're at a point in history, and this is really unfortunate, that half of young people are depressed, half are anxious, uh, a quarter have seriously considered suicide. These are numbers from the CDC this summer. And I think me and everyone basically who I've ever known has had to support someone through a mental health crisis, had their own mental health crisis. Um, and in general, we're always trying to be really direct and honest and like push people towards more difficult emotions. Um, but also trying to be sensitive. And uh, learning in public is hard. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, that's fine. I so I mean, that's good to know. Just that it's an ongoing process, and it's something that you get. You are continually trying to learn and improve, and take feedback into account. Um, and that, uh, yeah, I, I mean, there, there's an ongoing conversation that's been really, been really interesting for me to see in the astrological community, especially on Twitter over the past um, few years, amongst especially younger astrologers in their teens and twenties about. Um, this tension between sometimes there's pop astrology accounts that are a little bit too flippant or a little bit too glib in talking about mental health issues or like ascribing them to certain signs and saying like, I don't know, Geminis are crazy or something like that. And people wanting to push back and say that's inappropriate and you can't just like categorize entire 12th of the population as crazy or mentally unstable or use mental health terminology like that. And Sometimes they'll go so far as to say that astrology doesn't say whether um, a person has mental health issues or things like that. 
And I can understand that tendency and pushing in that direction, how certain things get caught up in it versus this other direction of, um, in terms of interpreting natal charts, where astrologers somehow sometimes do talk about mental health as part of like a, a, a factor in a person's life and the extent to which astrology can be used to address things related to mental health and the desire to do so like carefully and and um, delicately and everything else. And it seems like sometimes when certain phrases are used, it gets caught up in that debate about whether it's okay to to say those things from an astrological standpoint. Yeah. I mean, so again, I'm who I am for better and for worse. And I feel like there's a pretty big difference between um, colloquial and diagnostic use of these words. Um, you know, I went to school for psychology. I was still involved in that world in weird ways. Like I I think I actually presented a paper or co-presented a paper at a Lacan psychoanalysis conference the same month that CoStar launched. Um but I I just I personally think the colloquial usage of terms is different from the diagnostic ones, but I think we're in a position as a company that we can't take that stand. And I think that's good. And that's why we're not using those words anymore. Sure. And what's something that you're taking into account and you're not a, as a company or at least as individuals, even if it's not always um, obvious, you are like sensitive to current Political issues and like the political climate, and wanting to be, um, I mean, is being helpful or or healing in some sense at all like an underlying motivation for you in some way? I mean, for sure. Uh, I I think the entire project of shifting attention is therapeutic. Uh, you going back to the ancient Greeks, right? Like. The way that you become an ethical person is through attention. Um, it's through study. It's through talking to your friends. Um, Foucault has this line when he's talking about the ancient Greeks where he's, he's, uh, talking about taking oil baths with your friends and reading aloud to each other, which is, like is just a great <laughs> metaphor for the sort of excessive, uh, but also really romantic imagery of the time. Um, and I think astrology is a really good tool for that. And beyond that, like having this language to talk about your feelings and talk about things that are hard to talk about. All right. So let's um, transition. One last thing I want to touch on is just, um, and we've already talked about this a little bit, but just the tensions between pop astrology versus advanced astrology that sometimes come up in the astrological community. And it's especially a phase that I think newer astrologers go through sometimes where there's this phase where for most people you're only aware of sun signs and then all of a sudden you find out about full-blown natal astrology or at least this is how it used to be you find out about natal astrology and that astrology is more advanced and it's actually this really complex subject that has like a several thousand year history and you get really into it and then some people go through a phase then of kind of being dismissive of and kind of hating on what they perceive as like pop astrology, which back in the day used to mean like sun sign astrology. But it's interesting how nowadays what CoStar is doing, even though it's showing the full birth chart and it shows your big three 
your sun, moon, and rising at the top, and it's giving interpretations based on your natal chart and your transits, like that's become popular and it's being used by like 20% of young people. But as a result of that, that's now perceived as what's pop astrology and, and what's simplistic and everything else. So that sometimes there's just a tendency for people to like hate on stuff like that that's perceived as pop astrology just as a result of it being more accessible and perceived as more simplistic than it should be. Um, yeah, is, and I guess that's something you've sort of experienced or your team or you've been aware of sort of like I was wondering how much the some of the negativity that's occasionally directed towards co-star is something you're aware of and how you sort of deal with that. Yeah, I mean I think it's cool that we've moved the goalposts. Right. Um like that's sick. I remember growing up with magazine horoscopes that were pop astrology in a different way. Um or pop is simplistic astrology in a different way. But you know, also historically uh, gatekeeping is part of astrology. Like it's part of the tradition. Uh, you know, I, I think I said earlier about how the old books used to like curse you with locusts, etc. If you weren't completely silent about the book, yeah, like uh, Valen, Valens and Firmicus have like a curse on the book that you're supposed to keep the knowledge and information secret and and hidden because it's not supposed to be available to everybody, and that you have to swear an oath to only like pass it on to the the initiated. Or else, or else, yeah, or else you get cursed, which is has actually, I mean, you know, been funny because that's been like a legitimate concern that people like Demetra and myself have had. Now that we're writing books about Hellenistic astrology, like what would Valens have thought, you know, from the second century, and the way we often come down, or the way I've often come down, at least, is that I feel like Valens, if he understood the place of astrology today in history, would have wanted the tradition to. Persist and to continue to exist and be practiced, versus to die out and to like cease to exist, uh, because that's what happens if something is kept too private. Is that a lot of the books that he was drawing on from like Nechepso and Pedasiris that were cryptic and were you know sort of hidden don't exist anymore, and all we have is like his text which drew on some of them. So that's a real concern. And I think if he had a choice, he'd want it to continue to exist. So that's where I've fallen on that. I don't know if that's my own rationalization. I might may still get cursed. Maybe you're cursed. Maybe you're already cursed. I may be, but um, you know, I've done what I've done, and I hope that he would be happy with it and, and proud and think I did a decent job. But that's a good point. So that's always been a tension in the astrological community versus, you know, the gatekeeping or the you know, keeping the wisdom secret part versus those who seek to make astrology more accessible for everybody and think that that would be a good thing or would be a helpful thing if people did know their astrology and it was more common. And it seems like that's where you're coming from more. Yeah. And I mean, I think this term pop astrology really originated with Linda Goodman, right? Um, like in the past 50 years, the idea that astrology wasn't practiced no offense by men uh who'd been like uh, whose primary uh occupation was like this rigorous study but instead using it for humans um you know the only astrologies that are referred to as pop astrologies are pop are astrologies that are used by or created by young women 
for the most part. So I think that like sort of across the board, like things that young women are into are seen as trivial in some way, whether it's like clothes or uh, caring, certain kinds of caring friendships, gossip, whatever. Um, I think it has much less to do with the simplicity itself. So you're concerned that some of the like criticisms and attacks on pop astrology over the past few decades since astrology has had its revival in the West, at least in the 20th century, have been partially because it's something that's started to become associated with women more or with with like younger women. For sure, and I mean, even going back to antiquity, right? What I'm pretty sure this is uh, uh, one of the big astrologers was complaining about how one of the some women in court saw so many astrologers that she became an astrologer and he's like making fun of her. Like there are these instances from antiquity of like the same humor. <laughs> yeah, you're you're citing things from my book again, um, which I'm actually flattered by, but it's it's like an, an anecdote from my book, but it's from the first century poet Juvenal, who wrote in Latin and he wrote this satirical statement about how there were women who were consulting with astrologers so frequently that they became started being consulted themselves and that they wouldn't leave the house he said unless they looked up the ephemeris placements and the electional rules from Thrasyllus so it was kind of like mocking what i sort of inferred was probably a real thing which is that there were probably some women in upper, upper class roman society that were regularly consulting with astrologers who would tend to be male but they would gain enough knowledge and wisdom that they would themselves eventually become astrologers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so there's there's so one of your points is there's been a, a tension there and there's been a gender component and it's been interesting in the 20th century how that has flipped suddenly from something where until the past century we didn't really even have the names of many women who are astrologers but now all of a sudden it's a field where it's both dominated by women in terms of the, them being the primary practitioners and also primary consumers of uh, astrological content in terms of the media and other things like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you do you know? I don't know how much you can talk about statistics or anything like that, but what the gender breakdown is in terms of the number of like men versus women that use CoStar. It's like four to one. Four to uh, one. Women. Okay. Yeah. That sounds about right in terms of like other stats that I've seen elsewhere, like my own YouTube channel, where I think it's it's something like that as well. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, all right. So, tensions between pop astrology and advanced astrology, huge shift in terms of that over the past century. Um, the last thing, just in order to wrap up, and we've already touched on this, but this section about rumors and things, which I hope we've addressed. The majority of, even if there's some that we haven't touched on, but just general question was, and you've already touched on this, but just how are you trying to take feedback and trying to improve? And you said you are open to taking feedback through email and stuff, and this this is a constant process of trying to improve and learn as you grow. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we talk about feedback constantly. Uh, we're constantly making changes to the content, less so to the app, honestly, because we're currently very focused on just keeping it up. Um, and like, you know, 
we're trying to grow, trying to make something that gets better and better. Um, and ultimately our goal, and I think this is maybe where a lot of this stuff comes from, is like our ultimate goal isn't to become the perfect astrology app. Uh, it's to really build a tech product that brings people closer to get together and gives them the language to have more meaningful conversations. That's really interesting, and that's a much different um, goal necessarily than like a professional astrologer would have. Sort of like as we were joking at the beginning of the interview, you know, this is not you're not trying to design an app that like Rob Hand or Stephen Forrest can like whip, whip out in order to do a consultation. Like that's not necessarily the point, but you're designing something that is um, accessible to the masses and to non-astrologers in order to bring some. Some level of astrological insights into their life and give them something to to do with that that's that's meaningful and useful. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, I think it bleeds into a larger philosophical question, which is like, why is astrology important, or why is astrology cool? Mm. And I think there are a bunch of different answers to that question. But my answer, and I think the CoStar team's answer, is very much that it's about reflection and connection. What is the connection part? So that's something because you've you mentioned that, and I know I was going to ask you about where your plans are in the future to take the app. And you've mentioned a few times this like social component and like almost like community building as being an important keyword for you. And that actually reminds me of a placement in the CoStar birth chart that we were looking at, where the ruler, the traditional ruler of the ascendant, was in. The eleventh house in both, I think, whole sign and and porphyry houses. So, what it, what is the community component, or or what's your idea there? Well, I think the really broad idea that already exists um, is that astrology fundamentally functions as a language, right? Uh, it's a lot easier to say I was going through my Saturn return than to say I was having a really rough time. Um, and I think there are a lot of ways that those kinds of conversations can bring people closer together and like make it much easier to talk about things that are really hard to talk about. And I've experienced this in random elevators and also while having a deep conversation with a friend. Um, and I think that's, I think that's the most magical part of astrology is that like magical feeling you get when you're talking to somebody and you can break through small talk into something real. Um, right, you're like you're switching to another language and it becomes a shared language that you both speak, but then it's also something that's like penetrating to a deeper level of insight about conveying something that you're actually feeling or going through at the time than might be possible through your other normal language. Yeah. And I mean, you know, obviously I'm like a self-deprecating Scorpio who like word vomits so that no no real conversation can happen. Um, but there's something magical about how it creates space for that more emotional, intimate communication. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I mean, along those lines, one of the things that's been just wild for me to see over the course of the past few years is how it went from um, you know the general public. If you asked somebody for their sign, they would just say their sun sign, and that's all they would know. And now all of a sudden, people—it's not uncommon like people to know their big three. 
Um, and I have to think that apps like CoStar and their success over the past few years have been partially responsible for that and the extent to which um, a greater level of astrological understanding has been diffused or sort of like penetrated the um, general uh, consciousness or, or of you know um, not just just people in the world in general, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, yeah, and I think across the board, like I think rising tide raises all ships. People who didn't previously know the sun sign of the random person they were flirting with now know the sun sign of the random person they're flirting with. People who previously were only really familiar with their sun sign now know their moon and their rising. People who knew their moon and their rising now know their Venus and Mars, and so on. Yeah, and therein for me, and this has been an ongoing conversation on the astrology podcast for years in terms of that tension between advanced astrology versus quote unquote pop astrology and the people that argue against pop astrology is one of the issues with that is that popular astrology, whatever that means, however you define it, is the thing that keeps astrology alive and keeps it um, in people's consciousness and, and creates some room for astrology in society to some extent. And despite whatever its limitations are, if it's not giving people the full picture, um, it's still telling people a lot more about astrology and it's keeping the conversation going um, as a conversation in society much more than it would otherwise. And that's actually increased and, and I think overall been a good thing over the past few years rather than a bad thing. For sure. And again, like, you know, I don't have this esoteric view underlying my love of astrology. So I feel like it's equivalent to, you know, math, where it's like, does taking crappy math classes in high school harm people's love of math? I think that's like maybe a similar question where on in a sense, I think it does because the math you learn in high school, it's generally taught by somebody who doesn't really understand the underlying fundamentals of math. Uh, and I think it sometimes turns people off, but also it creates routes for people to get deeper and deeper into math if they want to. Um, maybe that wasn't the best example. Uh, no, that was, that was actually about math. <laughs> that was a perfect analogy, just because you know there will occasionally be somebody where that presentation rubs them the wrong way, and maybe they do get turned off by it. But for a lot of people, that may be their entryway into math, and that's the gateway for them to learn. The more advanced forms, and that's usually how it is with pop astrology, and that's usually my where I land in that argument of is pop astrology okay? Is that ultimately that is people's gateway for ninety percent of people that do get serious about astrology and become professional astrologers? That's how they get into it, and if you know that's what's necessary in order to keep the astrological tradition going or knowledge of astrology around, and if. You've actually been raising the standards and the level of pop astrology by, you know, having the full birth chart there and interpreting those placements and showing people that there's more to it than just their sun sign. Then it thing it seems like things are improving and progressing in a in a useful way, um, much more rapidly than I ever expected in my own lifetime. Like I didn't think five or ten years ago that I would turn around and all of a sudden everybody would know like their sun, moon, and rising, or that that would just be common knowledge. It's been really amazing and sort of miraculous to see over the past few years. 
Yeah. I mean, and it's really fun. Like there's some level on which I just wanted CoStar to exist because I just want to ask random people and get their full birth chart, you know, like, and it's a little bit awkward to be like, so do you know when you exactly were born? You might have to text your mom. It's much easier to just be like, just add me on this app. No problem. Just download it, put in your info, whatever. Yeah, well, and many because so many people have it, oftentimes people will be like, yeah, I know my sun, moon, and rising, of course, or they'll whip out the app and they'll show you the placements or what have you. And that's that's been really interesting to see over the past few years. So that's maybe the, the counter argument to those that are more down on, on popular astrology or the popularization of astrology through things like astrology apps um, in addition to other websites or what have you. Yeah. And I mean, the other piece of this is like, we get a boatload of feedback from people who aren't that into astrology, who compare the app to their therapist, their best friend, like a board meeting with the universe. And that's extremely tender. Uh, and you don't need to know astrology to have that experience. And the question is how to get more people to have that experience, right? Right. Um, and I think this came up at one point, but what one of the questions that some different people asked was what like obligation do you feel like you have, if any, to help teach people astrology more or to let people know that there's more to astrology or help guide them in terms of learning more about astrology or, or any obligation to the astrological community itself versus um, other motivations or things like that? Is that ever a consideration that goes into the app or or any of your future plans with it? Um so I feel a responsibility to astrology itself and the system. Um and I think second to that, I feel a responsibility to the many, many, many young people who use the app. Um I think the astrology community is interesting and friends and people we care about, but it's ultimately not our core goal. Um, it's, it's like, uh, what's a good, it's like asking, um, an elementary school teacher the degree to which they feel responsible to the, um, to university professors. Like, it's like, Obviously, in a sense, we're pushing people towards, but the point isn't to create education for the university professors. It's for the students, for the like people using the app. Right. That makes sense, just in terms of who your actual audience is and, and recognizing that versus, uh, I don't know, more advanced astrologers misperceiving that they're supposed to be the audience or something like that. Yeah, and I mean like I th- I think that advanced more advanced astrologers can use the app, but they're not going to use it to do readings. Like that's it, again, it's like using a spoon for heart surgery. Uh I can't imagine that and again, I don't know how super young astrologers are doing this. I've I've never had a reading with a super young astrologer. Uh who have you had readings with? Um, Alice Sparkly Cat, uh, Hannah Her on our team, uh, Robert Hand, which was extremely cool. 
That's cool. Um, and I think you said on the Reddit AMA that that was within the past year or something. Uh, I feel like it was a little longer ago. Okay, I'm not I sure. I could have. I could be misremembering that, so don't take my word for it. It was when we were in the new office, which was sometime after April two years ago. Okay. <laughs> sometime in the past two years, post Corona. Uh, sorry, pre Corona. So pre, yeah, before the the world fell apart. So um, you have had readings from different astrologers. You've been studying astrology for a long time. You do pay astrologers. That was a weird rumor that's sometimes going around that you don't pay astrologers, which is not true. Obviously, you have people on staff. Um, what are your plans for the future? Let's say all of the problems and all of the like issues you've had with scaling the app are solved tomorrow. What are some of the things you want to implement in the long term? Or just like ideally, maybe I shouldn't even ask that in the sense that you've uh, you've got like a lot of stuff to handle and, and to get things stabilized, but um, where could you see it going in the future, theoretically? I, I would truly die of happiness if all the scaling problems were fixed tomorrow. Um, one of the things we've been thinking about a lot is uh, this social interaction stuff. And I think that the way that people use, you know, I've kind of been talking about this in terms of using astrology as language. So, like, how do we build out? this platform that uses astrology in a sort of basic sense as a springboard for these more intimate um, conversations. And we have something we're really excited about uh, that hopefully, if we're not totally distracted with scaling problems, should come out pretty soon. Um, we're still pretty hush-hush about it, but it was developed sort of in collaboration with both astrologers and group therapists, which is really, really cool. Um, you know, we're also talking about trillions of other things, but this is the next one that we're super excited about. Like, how do we use astrology for a, as the springboard for like a new kind of social network uh, that's really about connecting, not screaming at each other? Nice. That that's exciting, and yeah, just it it makes me think of that. Um, 11th house Saturn in your in the birth chart of co-star and, and just um, you mentioning that and that community or like social component um, coming up over and over again is like one of the things that you think about um, is just interesting in terms of that placement with the ruler of the ascendant in the 11th you know regardless of which house system you use um, so that's very cool. Uh, house system. So we talked about that. You do have the polls. So it's like if people want to request Placidus or whole sign, they can continue to. They, they can if they want through that poll. And perhaps if that, if you got a huge amount of feedback, maybe at some point down the line you'll like integrate new technical features or, or stuff like that. But it's not a huge priority at the moment. Yeah, and I mean. So my question is less like how do we – I personally think that like what's – the more important missing parts are aspects above all. Um, having more of like uh, – I keep using these math metaphors showing our work um, and like giving people – I think this part of the app that I showed you earlier where you can trace your top transit and then you see the astro astrological language. Yours was like Mercury, semi-sextile moon or something like that. Um, and really giving people ways to understand what they're seeing, which I think is 
really cool from a user perspective, even if you're not an astrologer, and is also cool if you're an astrologer. And I think in a lot of ways, the ways that I think about this stuff is like, um, the ADA got passed, Americans with Disabilities Act got passed in the early 90s due to like very extreme hard work of activists in the 80s coming into the 90s. And one of the key things they fought for was the, the cut curbs, like the, the ramps to get onto sidewalks. And what's cool about that kind of accessibility is that it's good for a small niche of people but it's also good with, for everyone else. Like we've all used those cut curbs when we're, you know, hurt your leg or are pushing a suitcase or pushing a stroller or whatever. And so my question is always like, how do we build features for a small subset of people that are super focused on a small subset of people, but are actually useful to everyone? And that um, create a kind of accessibility that makes CoStar better for everyone. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And thinking about what changes like that you would get the most mile out mileage out of, or which would be the most useful and applicable to the widest range of people. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, last one of the last things was what are some technical issues that came up that you didn't anticipate or or that were inter- interesting? And in the like notes we were collaborating and putting together an outline for this, you just have like crying emoji <laughs> below that question. Um, if I had to sum up my uh, past, you know, three years at this point in a single phrase, it would be, uh, these are good problems to have. <laughs> um, it's, uh, we're so lucky, uh, to be a bunch of, people who didn't like previously build Google or something, uh, building something that a lot of people really care about. Um, also all of the technical (laughs) issues are really hard. We're hiring. If anyone listening to this podcast is an engineer, iOS, Android, Haskell, DevOps, we're on AWS, uh, please write to us jobs at costarastrology.com or costarastrology.com slash jobs. Sorry for <laughs> advertising this. Chris. No, I'm I'm more worried that you're actually gonna get like a deluge of emails uh in putting that call out, but that's fine. If if you're looking for people, I'm sure there's people listening that would be interested. I know there's also I saw a page where you're sometimes hiring astrologers for just astrological knowledge as well. Yeah, we're currently hiring a technical astrologer. We're also hiring a creative writer uh, and a data analyst. And I think there are there's maybe one more role that I've forgotten about in the past minute. Okay, but people can. But we're also hiring for it. CoStarAstrology.com/jobs. Jobs. Okay, so people should check that out. Um, let's see. Other question. There was one random one that was through. Twitter that was good, that, but I didn't know how to phrase it. But it was like you've had some outside funding. To what extent has that put any tensions? Has there been any tensions between like um, wanting to make something that continues to grow and flourish and is profitable, or or getting that sort of funding and having to move in the financial world versus um, what your original intentions were for the app or anything like that? Or how has that been over the years? Because I don't. It's like no astro- most astrologers don't have any conceptualization of what that is like getting having an app or a program on that scale where you're talking about like venture capital and things like that. 
Yeah. So just like a quick um, sort of background here. The concept of venture capital is that you sell a piece of the company to people called venture capitalists. They're rarely investing their own money. They're usually investing the money of very high net worth individuals, banks, uh, colleges, university endowments, hospitals, etc. And in trade, they have they mo- they mostly have um a stake in the company so if you sell the company or go public they get minimum 2x the money they put in um and they have some degree of control currently costar is costar controlled um meaning that i think basically what our board can do is fire me and prevent or encourage a sale of the company. Um, I think that, sorry. No, I was just going to say, so it's still something where you're very much in control and are still leading um, in terms of your vision for the company is, is still what's primary in some ways? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think a lot of that is, just to be a little cynical here, it is in their interests. Like, nobody is going to just like work as hard as the person who created the thing. Um, there's a pretty big concept in venture right now of being really, really pro-founder because you bring in some kind of outside CEO and they just kind of fuck it up and run it into the ground. Yeah, because it sounds like with that setup that they're they're betting on you in the first place. They think that you have a good idea and a good vision for this, and they think that you're going to be able to pull it off. So they're investing in you because they think you're going to be successful. And if you're successful, then they'll be successful as well. But that's really then like a vote of confidence for you and what your vision is as you've outlined it at some point early in the history of the company. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, we've, again, been really lucky. Like We've raised two rounds of venture at this point. Both were led by women of color, one, like two of the very, very few women of color in the venture world. Um, and I really genuinely like both of them. And I think that for other people, other companies, uh, they haven't been so lucky. Um, so that's certainly part of it. And, uh, you know, one of the, again, really lucky things of uh, CoStar growing really quickly is that we kind of had pick of the litter. Um. So I think that helps a lot, right? Because there were other apps that have been started over the past few years that have also been semi-successful. But yours was one of the earliest in terms of that wave of both when astrology was getting suddenly very popular, but also when people started making larger astrology apps that were getting outside investment. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That makes sense. Um. All right. Well, we've covered pretty much like all of the main questions. You had some different like subtopics that you said we could mention, but one of them that might be good and relevant at this point, unless there's something else we should touch on that I'm totally forgetting, if you want to point it out. But you had mentioned something about what is the future of astrology, which is a really big question, but it's kind of a relevant one when talking to you, just because you have not just your your pulse on things and have some like. Leading role in that, or the potential to play a leading role, but um, it's an interesting question to talk about. Just like where astrology is going to go in the next ten years, or what have you. Um, you said like the social component is very um, interesting, but what are some other things that you think about in terms of that? 
Well, so I actually kind of put this <laughs> because I want to know your take. I, like, I, I have sort of an optimist take and a pessimist take. Uh, my optimist take is that there's there's been the sort of breakdown of consensus reality over the past decade or so, largely due to the internet. Perhaps astrology will be something that brings us back together. Um, and it's not like uh, a sort of flattening of every world where everyone practices the same breed of astrology, but various iterations of astrology remind us that, you know, ultimately there's more similar, more things are similar between us than different. Uh, we're all born under the same sky, blah, blah, blah. And then the pessimistic view is that like, uh, everything is fracturing. Why wouldn't astrology fracture? The fracturing will get deeper and deeper and deeper and people don't talk to each other. And, you know, uh, astrology, you know, Pisces ban Capricorns from living with them and so on. Right. And that sometimes the infighting in the astrology community itself is bad enough or can be bad enough in exhibiting that sort of fracturing in and of itself, which could sometimes make a person despair about you know, even how much we have it together in our own community, an extreme pessimistic take. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but I liked that other more optimistic scenario that you presented where um, you're talking about, yeah, just how the realities are diverging for people, like, like politically and in terms of what news and information people are, are taking in, and people are um, getting into these bubbles, these like media bubbles or social media bubbles that they then don't look outside of and now even this year a lot of the social media bubbles are are becoming even more divergent and extreme with people like flocking to new social media things to get away from more common ones and that's an interesting thought whether astrology itself on some level can not continue to stay neutral but whether it does play some role of neutrality in people's lives that might keep them a little bit more grounded ironically than they might otherwise yeah, I mean, I th like this is an extremely optimistic take. Like, there are racist astrologers and sexist astrologers. Like, all of those things certainly exist uh, in the astrology community as much as anywhere else. Like, ultimately, astrologers are also humans, um, right. for better and for worse. Right. Uh, but I don't know. Like. I feel like I have to be an optimist on some level and uh, like astrology is magical. Like you can talk to a trumper about astrology. You know, I I'm thinking about uh, talking to um a, a friend's mom who who's like super into Trump and uh she she loves the push notes. You know, like, and that's really cool because it makes me feel like she's more human and I am not super crazy about her politics, understatement of the year. Um, but like, it's really nice to have this other world to talk about. Yeah, totally. And it, it has its own shared language that, while not completely neutral, it has some neutrality about it where you could continue to converse on that level or have some dialogue that you might not otherwise when the worlds are becoming so completely separate. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, I think this, uh, again, like, I, I think this take is super complicated because right. uh, 
you know, th- this this instance I'm talking about, she's like, my friend's mom isn't like trying to do violence to me. It's not like she's assaulting me in the street and I'm like, let's talk about astrology, stop hitting me. Like, right. this is just like a slightly awkward situation where I'm just like, uh, have you gotten a push notification today? <laughs> you know, uh, and there's a huge difference between lived violence that so many people experience and like what I'm talking about, which is like an extraordinarily privileged situation that is nonviolent and very minorly awkward. But a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and being in New York, I think you said that your, your office and the people at your offices were very, like this year, especially aware of what's going on, on politically and, and trying to be con- conscientious of that and also involved in, in some ways to, to whatever extent you can? Yeah, of course. I mean, like politically in the sense of we were all marching and at the city hall occupation over the summer. Um, but also, I think, hyper aware of COVID in a way that I don't think, for instance, people in Texas where I'm from are aware. Like they weren't surrounded by like images of humans being loaded into refrigerated trucks for two months last spring. Um, And I think there's, I think there's a lot of like brutalness that's really apparent in New York that isn't always readily apparent in other places. Yeah, that's a really good point. Really intense in terms of just it hitting New York you know, early and and so hard, and um, the actual like lived experience of that in March and April being much different than a lot of other p- parts of the country. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think we all spun out for a week or two at the beginning there, um, and then you know we decided we would go through all of the content in the app because uh, you know we have a lot of had past tense a lot of content about like kissing your friends and. Um, just being like, all right, no more kissing. <laughs> yeah, that delineation might be problematic. Well, that's a really interesting and funny thing, just because uh, all all astrologers have had to do that in terms of modifying or or like doing um, talking about like travel or something like that, which is like a common like astrology thing with the third and ninth house, and just you know maybe needing to dial that back a little bit this year when traveling has been grounded. So it's interesting hearing that from your perspective in terms of. What push notifications are like appropriate, are appropriate or inappropriate in that context when there's like a worldwide pan- pandemic? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, on top of that, also like there, we are a small group of people. Like, fifteen people is not enough people to like, no matter how diverse we are, and we're diverse racially and um, gendered and so on. But like. Ultimately, we're all young people who live in New York. There's, we're not that diverse. Um, and, you know, thinking about like how what we say is going to be taken in Turkey, where the government is lying completely about how much COVID there is. And there are just random shutdowns of the roads. And it, it, you, it turns out your city is quarantined and you can't leave. Um, and trying to figure out like how do you talk about that complexity? To this many people, uh, yeah, is uh, yeah a kind of psychotic, crazy, uh, overwhelming feeling. Yeah, that is crazy. So, because the app is not, it's not just being used in the U.S., it's being used by people around the world at this point. 
Yeah, I think it's like 292 out of two and sorry, 192 out of 195 UN recognized countries. So we're missing Eritrea, North Korea, and Tuvalu. Okay, you gotta get gotta get into North Korea somehow one of these days. The the internet thing is a problem. Same with Eritrea, but I think we could get Tuvalu. So if anybody's going on vacation, uh, go to Tuvalu, download the app, and then I can say 193 out of 195. Okay, that's that's good. We're, it's good to have goals, and that's another like future thing to mark off. Eventually, you'll get there. I, be, I believe in you. Um, all right, this has been awesome. So we're we're at about two hours. So is there anything that we should have mentioned or talked about, or I should have asked you that would have been an interesting question or discussion topic that I've completely spaced out or forgotten to ask at this point? Um, I don't think so. This has been extremely fun, and I'm really, really, really happy you asked me to come on, and I hope you uh, collaborate with us on something soon. Yeah, I would be interested in doing that, and I'm always interested in you know helping to promote and develop astrology more in terms of the public as well as in the astrological community. So to whatever extent I can help, um, just let me know, and we'll, we'll talk about it in the future. And I want to thank you for doing both this as well as the AMA, because I thought one of my first reactions to you doing the AMA on Reddit is I was like, wow, that's actually tremendously kind of brave and um, respectable to put yourself out there like that. And I think in retrospect, even more so now that I know that you're more of a private person, that it, it's even more um, respect. I have more respect for you in terms of doing that in order to answer some of the criticisms and both um, Acknowledge some areas where you made mistakes and you're still learning and growing, as well as some areas where there's just misconceptions. But nonetheless, to like do that AMA or to, to come on here and do to do this interview, um, I just respect it and appreciate it and wanted to say that. So thanks a lot. Thanks, but obviously uh, doing the AMA felt a little bit scary. This is just scary because you're Chris Brennan. <laughs> okay, well thanks, thanks a lot. Um, I I appreciate it and good luck in the future. Good job and and keep it up and keep doing what you do. And um, yeah, thanks a lot for joining me today. Thank you. Bye. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast. Uh, I guess that's it for this episode. So thanks for watching, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks to all the patrons that supported the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on Patreon. In particular, thanks to the patrons on our producers tier, including Nate Craddock, Marin Altman, Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Michelle Marillot, Christy Moe, Ariana Amor, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Sumo Kopic, and Nadia Habhab. For more information about how to become a patron or have your name listed in the credits, please visit patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. Also, special thanks to our sponsors, including the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening online May 27th through the 31st, 2021. Find out more information at norwac.net. The Mountain Astrologer Magazine, which you can find out more information about at mountainastrologer.com. The ISAR Astrology Conference happening August 18th through the 22nd, 2021. More information at isar2020.org. The Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, which you can find out more information about at honeycomb.co. Also, the Portland School of Astrology. More information at portlandastrology.org. The Astro Gold Astrology app, available for both iPhone and Android, available at astrogold.io, 
And finally, the primary software program that we use on episodes of the Astrology Podcast is called Solar Fire Astrology Software, which is available at alabe.com, and you can get a 15% discount with the promo code AP15.